Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics, episode 56. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are going to be uh, talking about something that's been rattling around in my mind recently, especially as I've listened to the ever-popular Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Um, I'm halfway through the demon hunting episode and have to. I saw that there's a new one that just came out today, oh, so boy. I have to get around to that. <laughs> there's going to be more conversations, but you know, there's a lot that could be said about this this podcast if you're listening to it uh, at all. Um, I'm not always a huge fan, but I think it brings up really interest, interesting and pertinent conversations that need to be taking place in the church. I've, I've read some good, thoughtful responses in different corners by different people. Um, that have made my my head spin Mm. and i think later on eventually maybe when it's sort of over with and the dust has settled with the podcast maybe in a couple months we'll come around and do a a sort of a review episode yeah Uh, maybe that's this is just a little teaser for that but something that's been if you're listening to reform podmatics you're probably also (laughs) listening to uh the rise and fall of mars hill yeah (laughs) yeah Probably. But sorry uh, to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. So the, the, the thing that I had in my mind, this, this is sort of the broad question that we can sort of go off of in this episode, is on paper, we here at Ammon Valley are doctrinally quite similar. Uh, emphasis on the quite. Not exactly mm. similar, but we're doctrinally similar to uh, Mars Hill and to a Mark Driscoll. Um, and others uh, in that sort of world. Um, so what makes us different? And how are we, uh, how can we be assured that we are not uh, perpetuating the same sorts of problems, mm-hmm. that we're not um, creating toxic atmospheres, especially for women? Uh, how, how can we be sure here at, at Ammon Valley that we're not, sort of committing the same mistakes. Um, and what is the sort of difference between mm-hmm. a church like ours and a church like that? Now, this is not an episode for us to pat ourselves on the back, but it is a, it's an episode for us to think about the question of, even though we are doctrinally similar, what makes us pr- in practice very different? I think anybody who, who walks into our doors uh, will be able to notice that we are quite a different church than mm. Mars Hill. If you would, be, if you would, <laughs> if you could go back in time and go to uh, Mark Driscoll's campus uh, in in Seattle, and go to his church, and then come back into 2021 and come here to Ammon Valley, you would you would notice in so many ways a difference. So what accounts for that mm. difference? Uh, that is the question I want to discuss today so yeah and of what, course, what are your thoughts we're, well we're not just talking about our church either but we want listeners to be able to to examine their own congregations yeah and, totally and and say 
um, how can I make sure that I'm not a member of a Mars Hill today? Um, what sorts of tests can I apply to my church? Or really, if you're searching for a church, this is especially important. Um, what will you look for that would um, kind of guard you against this uh, catastrophe, spiritual catastrophe, even though on the surface, mm-hmm. many of the markers of Mars Hill Church were positive. Um, yeah. I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I lived in the Pacific Northwest. I was a pastor there, actually, from 2011 to 2015. And so really at the height at, at Mars, Mars Hill's zenith, I was pastoring a church about an hour away, mm-hmm. uh, driving distance from Mars Hill. And um, certainly there was a lot of intrigue. There was a lot of interest in Mark Driscoll, uh, particularly among Reformed people, because yeah. he was he seemed to be making a Calvinist church work in the very secular and hostile environment of Seattle. <laughs> um, and so that was interesting, and, and that made me preconditioned to want to like Mar- Mark Driscoll, I think, but um, I remember distinctly talking about Mars Hill Church with a bunch of very seasoned pastors um, mm. in Linden, Washington. And I think it was in probably about 2013. Uh, so before things had really blown up at Mars Hill. And uh, I guess that gets to one of the first uh, ways that you can notice um, something is going wrong is I remember a, a fellow pastor referring to Mark Driscoll as the shock jock of evangelicalism, um, <laughs> kind of the Howard Stern pastor. <laughs> like, um, yeah, he's popular. Um, I guess Howard Stern is popular. I don't think I know a single person who listens to him, but um, <laughs> but there's a popularity in being so shocking. Yeah. And so that was the first thing that we noticed and that hmm. we sort of all agreed is not healthy and not really a, something that you want to be filling your mind with every week is, is what is Pastor Mark Driscoll going to say this week that just might shock us and cause mm-hmm. us to just be talking about that for the rest of the week? What might he say that wakes up all these lifeless men and tells them to get a job and stop playing video games all the time? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people sort of living for the shock of what the pastor might say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's pretty obvious. I would guess, again, most people listening to Reform Podmatics probably aren't quite as excited about a shock jock pastor mm-hmm. um however that is probably the most surface level way that a doctrinally good church can go off the rails is just having that pastor who would say anything hmm. yeah that's that's something that's talked about in the podcast yeah. itself where he's uh, compared to a stand-up comedian mm. who will say things just to get a laugh um, and he has that ability to do that and to be that kind of communicator that can guide an audience and, and, and yeah, say the shocking thing or the thing that's going to be quite hysterical or something that you would never expect a pastor to say. Mm-hmm. He sort of revels in that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other things I think that's talked about a lot too in the podcast, which would, could be one quick obvious answer to my question, uh, is the fact that Driscoll was in a non-denominational church and there wasn't a a much of a church structure beyond himself he did have elders but as it's quite clear hmm. from the story uh he was not really accountable mm-hmm. to, to those elders elders uh, in name elders yeah. as soon as he didn't like them could be fired which 
I've never really heard of that being <laughs> possible. That's certainly not possible uh, in in our situation here, thankfully. Um, if an elder gets on your bad side, Mark, mm, they're out. They're, they're not. Oh, they're, yeah, it happens all the time. No. <laughs> no, that, that, they are not out. Um, <laughs> Probably the opposite extreme yeah. in the Christian Reformed Church yeah. where if the pastor – uh, ticks off a, a few elders. Um, the pastor is fairly disposable in Christian Reformed right. culture, so that's a that's another error, of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, definitely, Driscoll's church suffered with the opposite error of the pastor could do no wrong, and the elders mm. had no authority. Yeah. So that's one answer to to this question. That's that's one part of how we are so different here in at Ammon Valley or at other churches. Um, we could also tie into this a sort of confessionalism, mm. having a sort of standard of doctrine or of teaching. Uh, that, that helps to get at that issue as well. That, that is part of what separates us. Um, one thing you put down here, which I thought was interesting, is Catholicity. Mm. Uh, would you mind explaining that a little bit for everyone? Yeah, so um, I think Driscoll's church really prided itself on its uniqueness. That was really clear in a couple of the episodes so far. And I, yeah. I do see that as not just a criticism of Mars Hill back in the early 2010s, but something that you see a lot in megachurch culture is promoting this idea that this is the church that knows Jesus. This is the church that makes disciples like none other. This is the pastor with the prophetic word. Mm-hmm. Um, we are so unique and so special that um, it's it's not just the churches of our area that don't understand, but maybe the church historically has just never gotten it so right mm-hmm. as we have. Mm-hmm. Um, that really comes through in the Mars Hill story. Uh, where where people are joining up with this movement and yeah. having a lot of pride in their pastor who mm-hmm. doesn't talk like some other pastors that they've heard and having a lot of pride in their ministry. And I think um, Catholicity corrects that by um, tethering the church to something that is good, um, something that mm-hmm. is a blessing to us, something that corrects us at times. Yeah. Uh, again, again yeah, probably more in um, charismatic and non-denominational context, but also in Baptistic and even Reformed context as well. Hmm. You're going to find um, congregations that uh, really downplay Catholicity and really play up their uniqueness. Yeah, so it's like exceptionalism. Yeah. We're the exceptional church. Absolutely. And some churches will go so far as to say we're the only church, although in evangelicalism (laughs) that's quite rare. It's kind of frowned upon. It's not good manners. Yeah, that's like fundamentalist, independent Baptist sort of stuff. Um, We're the sort of landmark church. Everything everything was dead until we came along. Mm -hmm. You don't really see that attitude, at least not fully expressed, but what you do sense is that we are the exceptional church. These other churches just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And that, can, that that selling point can go in different ways. Some churches will say, like, some churches just don't really understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually alive in our church. That mm-hmm. may, that'd be a Pentecostal church's mm-hmm. sort of sell. Or you could have the conservative biblical church who uses the word biblical. We're the biblical church. Mm-hmm. Um, you should come to our church because we're the ones who really actually teach you the Bible. Whereas other churches kind of fail to do that yeah Um, yeah i remember i got a pamphlet in the mail here in ripon and um it was of a church start uh and i would guess they just gave one to every person in ripon and it was it was basically saying the gospels come into ripon 
mm-hmm. because our church is going to start up on yeah. uh, Easter Sunday or something yep. like that this year. And um, th- that is really an anti-Catholic yeah. um, statement that like uh, we're the only ones who could really understand this. Yeah. Um, I think that, that that's not just something like a, a pastor probably is not going to say that from the pulpit, but that's a cultural mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. that people could probably pick up on do the people of our church, are we so proud of our church? Mm-hmm. It's good to be glad that you go to a church. It's good to love your church. It's good to think that your church is teaching great doctrine mm-hmm. and is doing things really well. That's all good stuff. To be encouraged by that is good. But to go that next level, Satan loves to twist a good thing and make it into mm. uh, what is actually an evil thing. And so uh, to turn that into a, a pride um, pr- again, it, it could be pride in the pastor who is mm-hmm. perfect and could just never um, make a mistake. Yeah. Uh, or pride in our system, pride in our denomination. Um, all of those are really recipes for sin being uh, quieted down. Like so, then when the pastor does make a mistake, it's oh well, that's just an exception. Or when. Yeah. Um, when our church does something a little bit wrong and somebody gets upset and it really seems legitimate, no, that's just the exception. We mm-hmm. know that we're special mm-hmm. and uh, that's our trump card mm-hmm. that we can throw down whenever anything seems to be going a little bit wrong. Yeah, this is a fine line because as you say, it's good to appreciate your church. It's good to even think what makes my church unique is X, Y, yeah. or Z. You know, yeah. Every, Everybody sort of thinks that. Um, and in any, in any given situation or any given town, Ripon has plenty of churches. I'm mm-hmm. sure every member of each different church has thought, my church is set apart by this factor or this factor. And that's not necessarily wrong, but to to heighten the importance of whatever that X factor is. Uh, Especially and, and, if it's the pastor. Yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. And if you ever sense that the pastor is heightening his own importance, <laughs> that's, that's a warning sign as well. Mm. Um, if he's branding himself or you know, starting things and he's using his name for everything and making sure everybody knows his name. That's probably an issue. Um, yeah, we can talk about that even maybe for a little bit. And, yeah. And I think Branding that is and marketing. <laughs> well, that, that's one of the, the main factors that even still Mark Driscoll continues to struggle with, uh, is self promotion, yeah. self absorption. Um, this idea that he's the one who knows he, hmm. he's the brand you might say, which is just a crazy way to think about ministry. I mean, it's so unbiblical. It is so unbiblical. Mm-hmm. Um, what does Paul say? It doesn't matter if uh, if you follow Apollos or, or me or Peter, yeah. but but that you follow Christ. That yeah. is that is. I, I hate to say it, the brand. You might say. I mean, that's using it in a very business term, but mm-hmm. but we promote Christ. That's what we point people to. That's the the role of a minister, um, and. Um, success can make us forget that. Uh, mm. Success in the case of Mars Hill really caused people to wonder if the brand was Christ or if it was Mark Driscoll. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, at times, pastors can can uh, make sort of throw gasoline on the fire. Like people want that prophet, they want mm-hmm. that guru, that person who just knows everything. And so when the pastor uh, often just refers to himself constantly in sermons, um, is the hero of every sermon illustration, um, is it, it almost seems like you're getting to know the pastor more in the sermon than the Word of God. 
Hmm. That's uh, an interesting point. That's uh, that's those are huge red flags for me that the pastor is becoming the brand or hmm. the church's identity instead of Christ. Um, you know, being really what we're all about. Yeah. So, I think part of this too is connected to the idea of maturity. Um, it seems to me that there's there's lots of young pastors with lots of ambition who want to self promote. Um, and they haven't quite learned what's long lifelong <laughs> veteran ministry looks like. And I'm not saying I have, I'm only 31. Um, but there's a sort of sense of like, I want to promote myself. I mm. want to make myself into something really, really big. And I was just admitting to Mark before we started recording that that was, that was me going into seminary. I really thought like I wanted to be the next sort of Mark, Mark Driscoll, in Mars Hill sort of situation. I wanted to be the guy who wrote the books, who spoke at the conferences. Mm. I had that sort of wrong, evil, twisted ambition um, that I had to confront and see and realize, A, I could never do that. I'm just not gifted in the way Driscoll is Mm. as a communicator and as somebody who can get that many people on board with something. That's just not something I'm I'm Mm. gifted at. Um, And B, that's not something I really want to do after, after I really thought mm. about it more. Um, and so, yeah, maturity is just sort of that life, lifelong growth in the gospel. And I think that that's something, obviously Paul talks about that as a requirement for being an elder. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I don't often see in churches like this. Um, yeah, and you see that particularly in the episode on women and sexuality and uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And so, again, mm. for those not listening, um, there is an audio clip played where Mark Driscoll is talking in really explicit detail about what a, a, a husband can expect from his wife. And there's, I think, a group of pastors, it might be, uh, it might be at a pastor's conference. It sounds like it's a, not a huge group, like a stadium, but maybe 120 or 100, 200. Or yeah, some sort of seminar. And everyone's laughing. And um, uh, Driscoll's talking about how uh, once this, this woman who came to his church started being more sexually enticing for her husband and uh, doing certain things, that um, that all of a sudden he started to come to church. And, and, how, um, and all these people are just laughing it up. And mm-hmm. it was super cringy just like that was to me the lowest point so far of all of the episodes was was like the fact that all these men are are laughing about this about this real person um and their sex life and um you know driscoll is just making a joke of it Hmm. and he lacked the maturity at that time to talk in a biblical wise way about a very important thing that is sex. Yeah. So um, it it seems like that actually made made him appealing. Like instead of making people ask questions about this guy who's like you said, like a stand up mm-hmm. comedian up there, mm-hmm. um, people were like, "Wow, he talks just like my work friends do about sex." Yeah. And that's a cool thing about this mm-hmm. guy. Um, so it's really the opposite way that you would want to appeal. It's using a worldliness mm-hmm. to appeal to the world. And it was very appealing to a lot of people. But um, in the end, yeah, it definitely. was not keeping the marriage bed pure as as mm. the Bible calls us to. That's not just how people act 
um, in their sexual sexual life, but it's how we think and talk about sexuality as well that keeps the the sanctity of marriage a pure yeah. thing and a holy and a good thing and something that is you know meant to be protected and uh, talked about wisely right. um, instead of trumpeted and paraded as this sort of thing that gets the giggles out of the uh, all yeah. the the men who um, yeah. who who wish that they were maybe more worldly. And wow, there's this guy talking about this in this way. So let's follow him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an interesting episode of Paul Vanderclay's podcast. Mm. Um, he's a minister about an hour north of us in the CRC, and he has a really interesting YouTube channel and podcast. He had an episode a few weeks back about Nadia Boltz Weber and Mark Driscoll comparing them. Now, if yeah, you know genius. Nadia Boltz Weber, yeah. she is a extremely progressive uh, Lutheran pastor. Uh, and Driscoll, of course, is a pretty conservative evangelical pastor, and how they would be on two different warring camps of evangelicalism, but one issue that brings them together, among others, is this sort of brash uh, sex positivity. Um, and so you see this in Driscoll's ministry. He's wearing this whole... Uh, he, he, he wears it on his sleeve, sort of a love for sex and openness to talk about sex. Uh, he has a whole book where he boasts about how he gets really explicit in the book, Real Marriage. Mm. Um, and he does. It's true. I've read the book. Um, don't read about, it. Yeah, don't don't go read <laughs> it. You don't. You do not need to waste your time. Yeah. But he, he's really positive about sex and open about it. And he's sort of uh, using that using the idea of sex as, as a sort of selling point. It's appealing to people. Mm. He's saying, look, I'm not a repressed backwards Christian like some of these other people. Um, so in that sense, he's sort of progressive in that he is transgressive. He's transgressing against sort of a uh, traditional or sort of a Victorian mm. approach to sex, you could say, in, in the church. And so if anything, that's something that a progressive person should see as a positive uh, because like a Nadia Boltz Weber yeah, would, yeah, yeah. Even though they would be like arch nemeses, um, <laughs> so that I think that's interesting. And what this gets at for me, and this is maybe the biggest part, the biggest answer to my question from the beginning is there's a different set of ethics hmm. between between our church. Not to hype up ourselves or to pat ourselves on the back, but I, I hope that this is the case. A typical good evangelical and church. A, yeah. And and this sort of Mark Driscoll yeah. mega church or church that's striving to be a mega church because you don't have to be a huge church to be like like a Mars Hill um, in the way that you practice things. And so I think it's ethics. It seems to me that so many Christians will think mm. as long as a church is belief statement says all the right things about mm-hmm. the trinity the deity of christ the the authority of scripture uh and, and salvation by by faith alone then they're a good church and i can go here and as long, whatever else they're doing it doesn't really matter as long as they believe these good things and so you may go into a enormous mega church that on paper believes pretty normal evangelical beliefs mm-hmm. preaches from uh, the bible pre- they preach from the bible yep. uh but yep. they could be the church like mars hill that's it would say overtly masculine um and tough and sort of like the mma church <laughs> uh, or you could go to the church just throwing out candy bars and dancing around uh and they ha- their sermons are 
pretty paper thin, but they are out of the Bible, and so you think, well, they they believe yeah. in the inerrancy of Scripture. Yeah. This is a good church. Joel Osteen uh, picks yeah, his Bible up at the beginning. Exactly, and, yep. he seems like a Christian person to me. Um, mm-hmm. So, what is the difference between churches that have all the same fundamental doctrinal beliefs? Well, I I would argue that it has something to do with a severely different. Uh, opinion on on ethics what are biblical ethics this is something that i think is lost out on this is not a conversation that happens a lot in the evangelical world Mm. um i think if you were to look up books on ethics my guess i'm not sure of this but my guess is that you'd find a lot more roman catholic authors Mm. writing about these sort of things virtues Mm -hmm. Uh, what are the christian virtues what is it mean to look more like christ and how we live and if we if we were all much more ethical people we'd be more humble people we would Mm. avoid the sort of self-promotion and and like the the catchy punchy funny jokes Mm -hmm. uh, from the pulpit uh, wanting to draw attention to ourselves if we had the sort of ethical vision of the bible and not just the doctrines uh, i think we would save ourselves a lot of the problems when we talk about the issue of sex Mm -hmm. um there's an ethic to that. There's an ethic to how you do that. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, it's good to not want to teach about sex in a way that shames people or that makes them feel like sex is a dirty, nasty thing. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you don't want to treat it as something to make jokes about. Mm-hmm. Sex is a sacred thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a God-given gift uh, to us as his creatures. And so when preaching on sex from the pulpit, for example... There's a serious joy that needs to come through. Um, we need to deal with the topic seriously as a sacred thing. Um, we shouldn't. We should do it yep. joyfully. Yep. Um, and so, and these things are sort of influenced by our theology. And so, on, but on paper, we would have similar theology, right? Again, we're we're both complementarian here, um, and. Hmm. There's some, some some things I hear Driscoll say where I think, yeah, I agree with that, but the mm-hmm. way that he's applying this and working this out is so twisted and so wrong. And I don't know how, how else to explain it other than ethically, mm-hmm. we're on completely different pages. There is a gulf, I feel like, between uh, between Driscoll and myself. Um, yeah, there's, there's a little test that somebody could apply, and that's um, if the pastor talks about sex or anything relational, um, is it the intention to get a laugh? Yeah. Uh, is it, are people laughing when the pastor is talking about his smoking hot wife, which oh, should absolutely, hot wife phenomenon. that should not happen seriously. If, if that happens at, at the church that any of our listeners go to, which is a huge phenomenon, like mm-hmm. that sounds so precise and so strange, but uh, Zach and I went to, a chapel at, at Ripon Christian and the youth pastor from a, a large nearby church got up and talked about his smoking hot wife and how when when you're a Christian, you get a hot wife. Um, that's what he said. Isn't that pretty much exactly yeah, what he said? And I've heard it at so many conferences I can hardly count. Yeah, and um, it, it talks about that in Jesus and John Wayne, by the way, and that is one of her mm-hmm. more uh, precise um, admonitions, I would say, of evangelical it's church. Extremely accurate. Um, and so... But and when that happens, the point is to get people to admire the minister, um, mm-hmm. to laugh about sexuality, um, like the world does, um, to think only about c- 
kind of its entertainment or fun value. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and it demeans which, the wife. Her only real oh, value is that she's smoking hot. Seriously, it's um, so bad. And so, um, if if when the pastor talks about yeah. sex or sexuality, there's a, there's a jovial laughing nature to it. I would mm-hmm. say um, something is wrong in how the pastor understands um, male female relationships. Um, I would guess mm-hmm. this probably also occurs in churches that are open and affirming too. There 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 be a lot of sort of celebration of sexuality, like woo yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just it's this. Um, Mm-hmm. Kind of a worldly um, novelty to it, yep. um, instead yep. of the the deep blessing and gift that it is from God, and so um, and that's not just sexuality either. I mean, it really is. Is there's an ethic of entertainment that hmm. was certainly there at Mars Hill Church and is there very commonly through many churches where mm-hmm. not just in the sermon, but throughout the whole service, people should be laughing. Um, I once read a, a review of a, of a church online where um, after the Easter service, um, the, the review of the church was, I laughed a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, And if, if it is the goal of a minister mm-hmm. to make people laugh at on Easter Sunday, leave that church. Yeah. Like, um, it, like and I think the person said, I laughed yep. two or three times during the sermon. Um, and that I know the, this pastor and that really was one of his goals was to really be funny with kids mm-hmm. stories and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, something is, is really deeply wrong. Um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, once wrote about this and he, he, he resolved never to tell, to be funny, to be humorous on a Sunday. And the, the point of that was that humor draws attention to the person, mm-hmm. to the minister instead of on the Lord. Now, I don't think I'd go so far as Jonathan Edwards did. You made a um, joke even this Sunday. I, I did this Sunday. <laughs> I joked about, so there were a bunch of lights out, um, light bulbs out in our sanctuary. And so we sort of started off the service with a lighter moment. But um, mm-hmm. that was almost during the announcements. And so I almost don't feel quite as bad about that because, um, <laughs> yeah. but really I, that was probably once in the last, I don't know, maybe a year or so that, that I've, that something really funny has kind of happened and we've had a laugh in church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a listener, you know, if your pastor really cares about being funny and being entertaining, or if he, his greatest concern is to communicate God's word. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I started to with the shock jock of evangelicalism. He wants to shock people into following him and to trusting him instead of trusting the simple word of God trusting the gospel to do its work yeah and, and so um i think uh yeah that along with self-promotion self-absorption um listen for how often your pastor is the hero of his stories mm. uh that there's something going on in the pastor's heart if he has to be the hero um mm. and uh whether that's in personal conversation or especially in sermons um, I think yeah. it's something that we as pastors need to think a lot about and be very self-critical about. Um, but uh, I don't know any further little uh, yeah, anecdotes some, some, that we can something offer. Something I want to say yeah. is I, I think as, I've, as I'm listening to myself talking in all of this that we could really sound like we're just promoting how great Hammond Valley is no, yeah. and saying well, we're just washing our hands, you know, we're not like them, we're not like them. Um, 
I hope that that's not how this is coming across. Amon Valley is by no means a perfect church, and I'm by no means a perfect pastor. Mm-hmm. I have lots of things that I'm learning from this podcast um, and and other things and from Scripture, obviously. I, I have a long ways to go um, in becoming a mature and wise, seasoned pastor. Um, and I also want to say that this 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 sort of thing can happen in small churches. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be the big church. I've, I've said that already, but that's worth repeating. Um, small churches can be just as toxic. Um, it can be just as, as problematic in, in those, in those fears. Um, sometimes even, even worse ways there's could be more pressure to be exerted on people if they act up or are out of line or don't do what the pastor likes. Um, yeah. There's less anonymity and so yeah, be 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 thinking about these things. Yeah. Um be thinking about how is my church uh how are we living a Christ-like life in our ethics, not just in our theology. Um so many churches, so many churches that I would say are dangerous churches have great doctrinal statements. Mm-hmm. Um, a doctrinal statement does not mean it's it's a perfect church. Um, sort of an example of this, or maybe it's an analogy, is the, the music I grew up listening to was a lot of screamo, metal, hardcore. <laughs> My parents hated it, but I would <laughs> tell them, but most of the bands I listen to are Christian bands. And so that sort of justified my listening to it, even though the lyrics were at best ambiguously Christian. Mm. Um, and then all these bands now, as years later are all basically atheists um it's really really sad um and a lot of these bands i was actually i remember learning like bad words from these bands Mm. or things i'd watch their videos of them on tour and pick up different Mm. slang words or things and yeah just because they were christian bands on paper didn't mean that they were the best thing for me to be listening to and i'm not saying we shouldn't we shouldn't listen to anything that's not christian but my parents just sort of thought well, they're Christian. They must be okay. Um, we we sort of do the same thing with doctrinal statements. Mm-hmm. I think um, mm-hmm. just because a church's doctrinal statement is orthodox may not mean that the church is orthodox. Yeah, and um, maybe after this episode, if you sense that some of this is happening at your church, uh, listen to our other episode on criticism and encouragement on how how you would <laughs> yeah. go about raising um the attention so um for example uh, if the pastor is always the hero of the sermon and i mean like i i know like this this happened in a town that i've lived in that there was a pastor who was known as just this guy who tells stories about himself that are very endearing to him and he's a really good storyteller and everyone loves the guy and it was the big church to go to Hmm. um and so it wasn't just that the pastor was told a nice story about his family one time like uh, it, we don't want to be legalistic about that, <laughs> or even that the pastor would be positively portrayed in some way mm-hmm. uh, publicly. That's not really the issue. But if that is just the theme that yeah. when we come to church, we're going to know pastor so and so a lot better when we walk mm-hmm. out the door, then to talk about that with elders to um, mm-hmm. to ask if there's any attention being given to this, if self promotion becomes kind of a concern for for some people and. That, that's a tough one for pastors, just being honest. Um, it's hard to know 
how to promote our church. Just personally, that's something that I struggle with a lot Yeah, because I don't want to be a self-promoter and I don't even just want to be an Almond Valley promoter. I want to be a Christ promoter. But at the same yeah. time, it's it's not a sin to advertise on Facebook. It's not a sin to record a little video of maybe mm-hmm. myself talking about what a sermon is going to be. And so it's hard to know that balance, but you know it when you see it. And if there's that self-promoting person who you walk away and every time you just know all the great things this person is doing and how impressive they are hmm. and how they're changing the world, you know, I, I think that that is trending in the direction towards a Driscoll. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily there already, but um, I think that there, there should be a certain amount of humility and self-deprecation uh, self uh, abasement mm-hmm. um, involved with being a pastor, and that's something that I need to grow in personally, of course. But um, but sometimes it's just unchecked, and where it's unchecked, it's very unhealthy. Yeah. So, so I, I, it goes back to the ethics. Yeah. Do we have Christian ethics? Our yeah. Christian ethics are extremely important. And if, if there's anything that can be learned from this podcast, the Mars Hill podcast, mm. it's that. But mm-hmm. Yeah, as I said at the beginning, maybe at the end of the of that podcast, we will come back around to it and discuss it further. Um, I know many people personally who are listening to it and finding it fascinating, good and bad, and everything in between. Um, and so, it could be worth having another talk. But for now, we hope we've given you some helpful food for thought, uh, and that we've encouraged you in the process. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening. Like, share, comment, subscribe, whatever you gotta do. And we'll see you next week. All right, see you.